Many investors and companies struggle with balancing profit and impact. Should we go for one at the expense of the other? Or can we combine profit and impact? And if so, how do we translate this ambition into tangible goals and make them work in day-to-day -day practice? In this episode, Axel Berger, Chief Sustainability Officer at Haniel, shares how Haniel developed a combination of profit and impact targets for an Enkelfake company. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. His experience is as rich as you wish for if you look for a CSO. Uh, during his engineering studies, he had a side business creating websites for companies. At Saint-Gobain, he worked in multiple roles as site manager, as product manager, as sales and marketing director. He led corporate development and the sales of the photovoltaic products. At ThyssenKrupp Material Services, he was head of digital transformation and later managing director of the IoT business unit. Since more than three years, he brings everything together as Chief Sustainability Officer of Franz Haniel. Welcome, Axel. Thank you. Hi there. Axel, we want to talk about how Franz Haniel invests money. But before we do that, uh, how do you personally invest your money? Oh, that's a good question. Bricks and mortar, brick and mortar I'd say. Um, okay. So obviously, put a lot of money in my house um, and... Um, But um, actually, I'm seeking now to invest also in, in startups, mm -hmm. um, maybe as in kind of angel investor. Um, yeah, to get a little bit um, also a better understanding how that works uh, next to work, um, because we, we do invest a little later. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, investing a little bit later, that's certainly true. Can you tell us a bit how Haniel uh, judges the performance of companies? Well, we started in 2021 to develop our own rating system, uh, which we call the Future Worth Living Rating. Um, it's, and why, why did we start that ourselves? Because we didn't find an adequate um, alternative. So we were not happy with the ESG ratings because they're risk-related more than opportunity-related and they are weighted in different, um, with different weights. So, for example, Standard Poor's weights G with 50% of the three E, S, and G, mm -hmm. um, and that didn't work for us. So um, 2021, we started really, or actually 2020, we started developing our future living rating. Um, and this consists out of roughly 60 questions, um, which uh, will cover all of the E, S, and G, and also around 30 KPIs that we measure if we have available data. So I'd say it's a profound um, ESG rating, but not looking on the risk perspective, but on the opportunity perspective and the impact of the companies on society and on um, the, uh, the, um, on the ecosystems. Mm -hmm. It's an impact rating au contraire to a risk rating, which the ESG ratings are. Okay. And, uh, Just, just to make sure that I understand correctly, at the end there is a, um, a score, a label. Uh, so how how does that come together? 
Yeah, there's a like what we also do is we we do we have 10 principles mm-hmm. um, and these principles cover all of these, these questions through ESG and um, out of these 10 principles, we also weigh each principle for the related industry. Um, because obviously you can imagine that uh, for a steel producer, um, they have a way higher impact in climate change, for example, right. and maybe not so much in working fair working conditions because uh, they are high, highly uh, unified, uh, uni, uni um, what's it called? Um, Unique. Unions, like oh, yeah. unified. So um, that's not so much of their impact. Um, another company has a totally different footprint in regards to their impact. Mm-hmm. Which means that uh, we took um, the, the so-called NACE codes out of the EU taxonomy mm-hmm. uh, so for each industry, and we mapped them to the 10 principles that we use for our future world living rating. Um, and then with this weighting, we then assess for each of the 10 principles how the company is actually performing. So and by simply multiplying them, and in the end, you get a one score, um, which is not completely true because actually you get two scores. Right. One, one is how the company is performing today. And one is how the company is performing, hopefully, in the end of our investment cycle. So mm-hmm. five years. Um, and why is that? Because we want to bridge the gap. And that's what interests us. So how do we get from the current uh, position, from the current situation of the company to a better situation in five years time? And the bridge in between the measures that you need to do to get from A to B, this is what we actually write into the strategy of the companies that we are invested in mm-hmm. um, and thereby push them to become a more sustainable company in a four year, five years lifetime. Okay. So 10 <clears throat> principles weighted uh, according to industry based on the EU taxonomy. Can you, can you give like two or three examples of the principles? Yeah, well, one obviously is climate change. Um, one is circularity. So in how far the company is actually um, building their business model on circular standards um, or circular principles. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously we have social ones like fair working conditions. Um, we have um, health and education in there, but we also have innovation in there as the 10th principle. Uh, however, what we look at innovation a little different. We say an innovative business model is innovative if it innovates to make the world a better place, so mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you would invest in a, in, in a manufacturer of pumps and they would have the most efficient pumps, which, however, uh, get oil and gas out of the ground, right. that would be not very innovative for us. Okay. And... Uh, let's maybe stick to that one. So you have the principles and then one layer under the principles, there are multiple stages. You mentioned KPIs, uh, but Mm. also uh, in total 60 questions. How do you organize the questions and KPIs? um, That's a very standardized methodology. So we try to identify the qualitative questions. Like, for example, do you have, in terms of innovation, do you have like an innovation methodology, how you generate innovation, innovative ideas, um, stuff like that. And then it's a methodology. So you you start answering questions. And if the answer is yes, then in the end, you will be at the first stage. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, you will move to the second stage and so forth. 
so that you will be rated from a scale from one to five. Um, and every time you, you can answer the question with no, you would get into the next stage. Um, and the KPIs are trying to underlie that, which means that mm -hmm. um, in regards to innovation, for example, how many innovative um, projects or products are you bringing out in your funnel every year? Mm -hmm. So that in KPI, or how many ideas do you generate with your funnel every year? Mm -hmm. So these kind of early stage or later stage KPIs give us a good indication in regards to innovation. And you can do the same thing for all of the other principles, like climate change, do you have a carbon accounting, would be a qualitative uh, question. Um, on the other hand, how big is your carbon footprint would be a KPI question. Mm -hmm. right. And related to the industry you're in, we try to identify the thresholds when the KPI is a good KPI or bad KPI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is then sequential. You, you said there, there are five stages. So you start with the first question uh, and answering that with no is actually in that case good because then you, can, uh, you get the, kind of the first point and you move to the second question. If you, if you um, uh, answer that with no again, uh, you get to the third and so on. Ultimately, the maximum points I can get in one dimension uh, is then five. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the and um, obviously there there um, there was very very simplified. Obviously there are questions yeah. to um, strategy, uh, uh, operations, um, and so forth. So the, yes, we do get a little more in detail, and obviously it will be then a mix. You will not always be a clear four or clear five. You will have answered some questions in three, some in four, some in five, and then the average will then relate to your to your final score. Okay. Okay. And do you have any knockout criteria in, within the principles? Yeah, we have um, something what we call the blacklist. Um, so that's industries or um, topics where we would not invest at all. So if, for example, the company is investing in oil and gas or selling into oil and gas mm -hmm. for more than 30%, then we are out. That's, that's it. Um, and obviously within these questions, like if you, if you end up in the first stage, um, which is one, then obviously these are all also knockout criteria because we cannot imagine that we have an Enkefe company, yeah. which is in one of the 10 principles, one, which is which means you have a negative impact. Mm -hmm. So that in our universe, that doesn't work. You can, like for an Enkefe company, in the 10 principles that are the foundation of what we believe, you cannot have a negative impact in one of these uh, 10 principles. Okay, right. And if, if, and if the company has, sorry, if the company has, then we need to decide, can we change that mm -hmm. within these five years True. or can we not? And if we, if we believe we cannot, then obviously it's an investment that we either would not invest into or that we need to get out of. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, it also helps if the managers and other owners of the company uh, share your perspective, right? Yeah, which is not always the truth, uh, the, the, the situation, unfortunately, but yeah, uh, yeah that helps. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. And uh, just to, to finish off the Future of Living uh, score, so then I have 10 principles. I have for every principle, I have a score between uh, uh, zero and five, um, I add the weights and then I have my overall score. Who does the assessment? Do you do it yourself or? Yeah, that's a good question. Like for the first years, 
that was really hands-on. So, I mean, we started developing an Excel sheet, doing that ourselves. Mm -hmm. So me and my colleague Christian Rubel. And you can imagine that um, if in the beginning, like if Christian had a bad day or I had a bad day, then um, the rating would probably be slightly different to uh, having a good day. Yeah. So, um, and that's why we made, created such a structured approach mm -hmm. um, so that it will always come up to the same results. It doesn't matter if Christian or myself did it or somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't matter if we have a good or a bad day. So, what, however, what we did in the last year is to bring that out into an external company because um, we didn't feel it was good to rate ourselves. So we asked an external company uh, to take over that rating and build it with us. And so from now on, it's all in the hands of that external rating company, um, which is not one of the big uh, companies. It's a, it's a small agency. And what we are now trying to do until the end of the year is to certify that by a third party. Mm -hmm so that it's becoming even more independent and that we can also offer that rating to other companies who want to use it. Mm -hmm. um, because then it's a real independent impact rating of companies. Mm -hmm. And talking about the independence, I understood that you still have some weights between the principles that are, let's say, inspired by the uh, taxonomy but probably not one-to-one -one the same. So is there still, let's say, some judgment, some a bit personal opinion slash strategic emphasis uh, on your side, how you weight the, the criteria? Or is this completely neutral by now? Yeah, it's as neutral as it gets when you come to different business models. The problem mm -hmm. is that obviously when you, when you look at one of these NACE codes, there's a clear industry, let's say steel manufacturing or whatsoever. Yeah. Um, obviously, like a company is usually not involved in just one or like this pure business model. Yeah. So there might be some separate, like, for example, metal distribution and not just production. Then it's probably also other alloys. I don't know. Which means it makes it really complicated to just judge it on that one um, industry code. Sure. So what we are doing is together with the rating agency and also together with the companies that we invest in, if they are already our companies, um, to judge if these NACE codes do really 100% fit the company mm -hmm. or um, otherwise we make a blend out of several um, different um, weightings for different industries if this covers in a significant amount also the business model of that company. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there is a little bit of judgment still involved because the world is not that simple that you could just put it in a cluster. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's also for us, that's the learning. Um, and what we do is when we do a rating, we obviously discuss it then after, first with the investment team who want or has invested in, into that company. And then we will also discuss it with the company itself. Yeah. Um, so also to judge if what we think from the outside um, fits to the company also fits from the company's perspective themselves. And that's a big learning journey. So we get better every time. And um, however, we try to do that as objective as possible. Yeah. And the companies you assess, do they get the uh, full transparency of all the questions and the individual scores, I guess? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that's funny. In the beginning, we said, okay, listen, here's what we try to do. This is our questionnaire and the data that we want to receive. And obviously, as you can imagine, like in a company that is part of a bigger group, 
Ah, no, they're coming centralized. The centralized questionnaires again. Don't bother mm -hmm. us with that. We said, okay, don't worry. It's fine. We do that with our external agency, and they mm -hmm. will answer the questionnaires as, uh, as, as they can. But then you saw, like, the deeper we got, um, hey, can I see the questionnaire again? And, and so the involvement got bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And now in the end, actually, the funny thing was that literally all of the companies that we have invested in, um, which are our portfolio companies, all of them participated mm -hmm. to answer the questionnaire themselves as good as they could. Mm -hmm. So we get better data. Mm -hmm. um, but in the beginning, we said, hey, don't worry, we do that from, from yeah. the outside. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but, but then um, they became interested and that was the best thing that could happen. Yeah, cool. I mean, at, yeah, at the beginning, you want to remove the obstacles and don't make it burdensome. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, and even better uh, if they get engaged with it. Uh, at the end, they need to own uh, the strategy. Yeah? Yeah. How do you do that? How do you implement uh, it in your portfolio companies? Well, we have, like we currently just have actually the, the strategy cycle. So... Um, What we do there is to review the, the next five-year strategy um, or next three to five-year strategy. And what we now from this year on did was to take the results of the future living rating and put them from the very first day into the strategy discussions with the portfolio companies. Mm -hmm. So to say, that's what we expect. We expect you from getting from 3.2 to 4.5 in the next five years And these are the measures that we identified that you need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. You see, the timeline in these three to five years and um, investment cycles for them uh, in terms of CAPEX and so forth, that's all up to them. Mm -hmm. It's their strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so we just make sure that our expectations are well found or in integrated in their strategy, so mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. Then comes the budget, which is then in the end of the year where um, obviously you need to cut that down to the next year's period. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there we will then see already the CAPEX, the investments and everything that is needed to go the first step in this three to five year strategy. And how do you put that in sync with financial KPIs? I guess you also have financial KPIs and financial targets for, for your portfolio companies. So how was there any conflict or is it independent or is it integrated? Yeah, that's a good one. It's, it's, it's cumbersome. It's, um, I mean, for example, the first year we wanted or last, this year we wanted to invest in 37 photovoltaic projects, just mm -hmm. as an easy example. Um, and then, um, so, and we were happy to invest these, um, I think it was 16 million euros. We said, okay, let's invest that. But then, um, like when we talked to the petroleum companies, they said, hey, guys, we, we have cash targets. Mm -hmm. So if you now invest in, in an extra project, which we didn't see coming last mm -hmm. year, um, into photovoltaic, hey, we will not reach our, our cash targets. So a huge discussion. Um, And now we want to integrate all of that into the daily routine, so into this normal budget periods. So, for example, investments, CAPEX investments into, um, for example, photovoltaic or um, energy monitoring. So everything that improves your, um, your sustainability performance or recycling uh, machines, that needs to be part of your regular budgeting period. And then okay. we see the results, like the EBITDA, obviously, 
that involves that investment and the, the OPEX costs around it. Um, and then obviously we can discuss if we are happy with this or not, just as you would do with any other investment that you would do. Yeah. So it sounds a bit like a transformation period right now that you uh, now started to integrate it um, uh, to, to reduce the target conflicts. Yeah. And there's one thing still missing, which we'll, hopefully we will uh, catch up with in 2025, which is to bring these targets also into the long-term incentive of the top managers. Mm -hmm. Because then also they don't have like personal uh, conflicting targets, um, which is also a key because obviously um, for them and also for me, it wouldn't make sense if we challenge you on a sustainability target, yeah. but you're not, you, you don't get the benefits from this. It doesn't make sense. So that's the last bit that we want to um, resolve um, in 2025. And then it's really a fully integrated circular model. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the way you describe that, it sounds so beautiful, easy, straightforward, clear. Um, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't like that. So what, what, what are the main barriers or what were the main barriers? First of all, it, it is beautiful, clear and structured in theory, because it's no rocket science. It's, it's, a, it's a bloody transformation like every other transformation. So yeah. um, and the, the standard stuff that you need to do is to integrate it into your strategy to make the change around uh, the change model to, to integrate it into your incentive schemes. So in theory, that's all clear. Yeah. But obviously, also with this topic, it's a lot of discussions. Um, also, because this topic about sustainability is extremely emotional. Mm -hmm. Also on a personal level, like everybody that somehow gets positively or negatively attached to it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and that creates additional barriers. Yeah. So that's what we try to take away and to make sure that... Um, that it's measurable. That's why this rating was so important, because otherwise sustainability becomes is, is the, so intangible, mm -hmm. difficult to grasp, especially also on the finance side. Um, so how do we measure it? What KPIs do we do? And for everything that we want to change, we create KPIs in a lean man, uh, methodology. You need to have KPIs that you can measure on a monthly basis so that you can keep on improving on it. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, that was a really hard one for the portfolio companies. We now start with measuring carbon footprint on a monthly basis and not on a yearly basis. Okay, well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with everything that you want to change, usually you have a clear KPI, yeah. monthly reporting. So why shouldn't you have this for sustainability if you really mean it? Yeah, yeah. The way you talk about it, it's... Uh, It's it sounds pretty comprehensive and the future worth living attitude and framework, it doesn't work in isolation. Can you put that in perspective with your financial expectations towards the portfolio companies? Do you discount them here? Uh, does it mean if I have a higher score here, I can be less uh, successful in terms of uh, financial targets? No. Um, so when we put in the strategy in 2021, we had two major KPIs. One on the y-axis is the total shareholder return. Mm -hmm. There we have a target of 9% uh, total shareholder return per annum. Um, that's a clear target. And then on the x-axis, we have the future with living rating and score, 
where we expect to get to a 4.2 um, in five years time. So also a clear target. Mm -hmm. And um, these targets have equal rights. So we are not able to accept a company that is super profitable, mm -hmm. but not, not able to reach that 4.2 as a future living rating. And on the other hand, we also cannot accept a company that is probably a five in the future of living rating, mm -hmm. but cannot generate these 9% TSR. And that is super difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but we believe, and that's what we want to prove, is that you can earn money with and through sustainability and become super profitable and outperform the marketplace mm -hmm. in the years to come. Mm -hmm. um, and if we wouldn't believe in that, then we would probably have to give a discount on, on EBITDA, but mm -hmm. no. No, no, we believe we can do it. And when you look at the, um, I, I usually look at three levels of sustainability. One is uh, CSR, so reporting. Mm -hmm. um, we are not interested in that. We need to do it. We know it, but um, we are not interested in that. The second is um, cutting costs and reduce risk with sustainability. Mm -hmm. And this is, for example, your, your photovoltaic system. Why? Because... On the long term, it will cut, cut your energy costs or um, also mitigate your risk about um, um, energy uh, fluctuations like we saw in the, in the last crisis. Um, so that's something that you can do from day one. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense from a risk perspective, from a financial perspective. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And then the third layer is um, growth. How do I generate additional revenue and therefore additional profits? For example, with new sustainable products um, um, or new business models uh, that I integrate into my own, um, for example, circularity business models, uh, and thereby generating new uh, new value stream. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's that's how we look at it, and we believe that you can start with the cost and risk mitigation from day one and become more profitable, which we can prove mm -hmm. um, already. And then build up on that with the next layer to generate new business models, new products that you generate future growth with. So technically your hypothesis or your bet is that uh, the companies that score high on the future worth living score will also ultimately score high on the uh, total shareholder return. Yeah, and on a, on a, like when you just look at costs, Sustainability is always related to resource efficiency. Yeah. So if you are really resource efficient, you have a lower cost basis, therefore you will be more profitable. So that makes perfect sense. And that's how you can start with. But also, obviously, regulation will push us hard. Yeah. Um, CSRD is coming, the Green uh, Claim Directive is coming and so forth. We will have a, um, a carbon tax or we already have a carbon mm -hmm. tax either with the ETS um, or with the carbon taxation of fossil uh, energy since 2021 in Germany. So um, regulation will push us hard, uh, which also will make sure that companies that are more resource efficient and that are investing into less emission technologies will have a better cost basis in the future. Yeah. So therefore, and, and obviously there will hopefully also come a push from the consumers and from the companies in B2B um, that would also create a push from the other side, which for me makes clear that in the next 10 years, the company will only be also financially successful if it is sustainable. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is actually updating the investment strategy of, of Haniel. How did the process with the shareholders um, 
um, evolve over that because uh, I mean that that touches the core of the expectations of the shareholders. Yeah. Well, it's it's still going, <laughs> and it will always go because <laughs> we we have over seven hundred shareholders, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's just um, a mirror of of society. Mm -hmm. So with all different flavors and um, and opinions. But um, in general, like we started uh, very early on in the transformation 2019 mm -hmm. to integrate them into the new transformative well, strategy or roadmap or where we wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, there's a constant discussion with the supervisory board or, um, and the family side of the supervisory board um, about the strategy yeah. every single year. Um, and yeah, so that's how we want to, in, or that's how we involve them. And we also, what uh, we do is we have different formats where we inform the family members if they want to yeah. about circularity, about climate change, about Enkelfeg as such, and yeah. other topics. So whenever the family members are interested in getting more information about what we are actually trying to accomplish, then we offer them formats for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds like that the change of that scale because yeah i mean you're actually changing the dna of the company yeah a change of that scale can probably only be done if you have the shareholders uh, on board yeah well i think it depends on how successful you are <laughs> um i think if you're successful from day one then obviously it's very easy to get yeah. them along but you know hanya is 267 years old mm -hmm. And we had to reinvent ourselves several times already. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, we have been big in coal, and so we, we, we are part of the problem. We have been big in coal and steel. We got out of all of that. We then have been very successful in trading with uh, being founder of Metro. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we had to get out of that. Um, so we had to reinvent ourselves over and over again. And this is the next big transformation, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so for the Hanya family, I mean, Obviously, that's long periods in between, but for the Hani family, it's not unusual that we need to change our entire setup. Um, but it's it's a real tough topic to do. Um, and sometimes you get shaky and obviously you, you, you lose faith. And that's what we need to cover. That's what we need to, to, to bring back to the family. We need to be successful um, and give them enough information that, that they feel trust. And if we can do that, both of it, then I think this can be successful. Yeah, yeah, sounds promising. You mentioned a couple of times Enkelfeg. Uh, I tried to come up with an English translation. I made up grandchild compatible. I don't know if there's a, a better one. Can I usually say grandchildable, but um, <laughs> actually we don't want an English translation because we think we want this. We, we, we truly want the term Enkelfeg in the English dictionary. Okay as one of the German words with a very specific meaning. <laughs> um, and this, this is what we're aiming for. And what is the meaning for you next to, so we talked about the Future Worth Living score, that is more or less the framework. What is then uh, Enkelfeg? Enkelfeg for, for me and for us is uh, entrepreneurship in the 21st century, where you do business in balance between economy, ecology, and social responsibility. Um, it's te tech-driven because we believe that we need technology to solve the big problems of our time. Mm -hmm. And it's performance-driven 
Um, so we want to earn money because we believe that only if sustainability becomes profitable, it can scale. Mm -hmm. and that's what we need. And also because our current economic system, which we will not change in the upcoming years so easily, no. um, there's one good thing that this economic system can do, which is scaling. Mm -hmm. So that's why we believe we need to bring profitability and um, sustainability together. And that's what Equifix stands for. Okay, cool. Uh, how do you want to share that approach with other companies if you want to share that? And we are already um, working on an Incafeg movement, um, which is in the moment, uh, currently we are planning to, to um, initiate that with the seven, under, uh, seven other companies. Mm -hmm. um, and within this Incafeg movement, what we want to build up is this kind of methodology, know-how, and share that with other companies. So over time, we will invite more and more companies to join that movement as members and um, then they will have the benefits of using the methodologies that we already have implemented they will have training that we try to build up um, yeah and we want to be good role models for other companies to start believing that doing uh, or creating economic profitability with sustainable measures or sustainable business models is possible Axel, to me personally, you are already a role model and uh, I wish you good luck with continuing that journey. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. In this episode, Axel from Haniel shared with us how they balance profit and impact. The next episode will be about circular transformation. Until then, please don't forget the most abundant renewable resource is your imagination. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. 